What's going on, everyone? Welcome into Near Falls with D. Hall, a wrestling podcast. Here we go. What's going on, wrestling fans? Welcome into another edition of Near Falls with D. Hall, a wrestling podcast. Today, the featured guest is none other than Mr. Harry Turner of NJCU University out there in the Jersey State, in the Garden State, baby. We're gonna get into that, I promise you guys. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting because you, you you know that I'm a PA to the core guy, and this is a New Jersey to the core guy. So we're definitely gonna get into that. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, just reading over some of Harry's accomplishments. Uh, just going back to his high school career, he was the runner-up uh, for Howe in New Jersey, and obviously New Jersey only has one division. So uh, he took took second place in 08. He was a four-year starter at Lock Haven heavyweight compiling 93 wins, just falling short of the uh, century mark. Two-year volunteer assistant at Lock Haven University, uh, two-year assistant at Buffalo. Uh, he had a resident athlete and coaching year at NJRTC, which obviously we know that they're making big strides. Um, and he also was a year, did a year as the director of recruiting for Rutgers, and uh, that was last year. So well, you obviously know that that was one of the best recruiting classes that Rutgers has ever brought in. They they ranked number four in the country. So uh, we're going to get into that a little bit and why he ultimately decided to branch out and do his own thing and, and uh, enter the D3 landscape. So, But with that being said, let's bring him in and start the conversation. What's up, Barry? How you doing, buddy? Not bad, man. Not bad. How about you? Same old man, just trying to hang on, you know? Yep, same as everybody. I hear you. So, you know, just off the bat, I want to cover a couple of things just off the bat. Obviously, uh, for those that are my loyal listeners, uh, Harry is a good friend of one of my best friends, Aaron McKinney. Um, went to college with him at Lock Haven, you know, uh, and Aaron had such high regards for you that, you know, I uh, had Neff on a couple of weeks ago and his uh, episode is going to be out. So, you know, they both guys talked about you a great deal. I said, I got to get this guy on the show and, and, and talk to him a little bit. For sure. That can't be good if those two were talking about me. There's no good info coming from them. I love it. I love it. But I will say, one, you know, what really took me over to say I got to have this guy on is uh, you recently just got engaged to your fiance, and uh, you probably had the most legendary tweet of announcement I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. He, so I'll set the stage for you guys. So it's a picture of him with his uh, fiance of him kneeling or whatever. And then another picture of him, like they're both kind of raising their hands in excitement. He says something along the lines of just secured a uh, long-term place. Go ahead and Harry, go ahead and tell me what you said, because it was absolutely incredible. Lock down a real program kid. Like yeah. game changer for the team. Yeah, man. Like a recruiting life. announcement. Yeah, yeah. You never, I can't shake it. I, I let the work it. spill over. I took some heat for that one, but he was like, it couldn't just open up, be a little emotional one time. I was like, nah, I had to keep it. <laughs> I had to keep my coaching vibe. I couldn't shake it. I love it, man. That's such good stuff. And that's what, you know, we're going get to get, it, get into ultimately is, you know, where you're at now and why, how you got there. But let's start back to the beginning. You know, you're a Jersey guy, right? Jersey uh, just exudes toughness, exudes, you know, grittiness. Uh, and, you know, you're one of the premier states in the country. There's no doubt about it. It's For me, it's PA, it's Ohio, it's New Jersey, Oklahoma, and California. And I don't think it's very close. I think those are the top five states. You could throw a couple other ones in there as well, but Illinois and stuff like that. But uh, so let's start off like this, man. Uh, how did you get your start and what was it like kind of cutting your teeth in such a hard wrestling state? I got really lucky that my parents, my dad wrestled back in high school. It wasn't anything special, but he always loved it. You know, he did it. One of the premier programs back then, now it's Old Bridge High School. They're pretty good. Back then it was Madison Central. They had a bunch of state champs in the uh, 70s and 80s. He moved down to Howell. They weren't anything special at the time. Luckily, a guy had just moved down and started a rec program a year before I turned five years old and joined up from Peaburg one of the most legendary high school programs probably in the country. They're up there. So he kind of started Howell on a Phillipsburg model at the rec level. So I kind of got thrown into that just by chance. We had this guy, Rich Famularo, set up one of the best rec programs in the country, and uh, that helped us all get our start. We all kind of – we had a real good group jump in. We were like five, six years old, carried each other, became – that was kind of our mantra. We all came up together. A lot of these teams were starting to get into the transfer arms race. 
And we kind of always held that over their head that we had all been together since we were five years old, had each other's backs, homegrown kids. So coming up in that environment was awesome. And then going to Lock Haven, the same thing. You're the plucky underdog. You're not a, you're not a whole stable of talented monsters. You're a bunch of guys that just come in, bang your head against the wall every day until you get better. And then you go out there and go after somebody. Right, you know? man. Just kind of figure it out as you go. Yeah. So you, you start in your, you're in New Jersey and you, you, your dad kind of guides you down. You guys, get, you get lucky. You have one of the best programs, you know, in the country for the rec league. And that's a big thing, man. And if we can branch off into that topic a little bit, that is a big thing going on in high school right now. Um, yeah. You know, in PA, it's a lot of schools that are just kind of, yeah, it's a school, but, you know, how many kids are actually from that area? You know what I mean? They have kids from all, maybe as the surrounding areas that kind of move in. And, uh, you know, I understand why they're doing it. I understand why people are doing it. Um, but for me, I, there's a great deal of pride. You had to feel a great deal of pride and just the homegrown talent. Definitely. And, uh, you know, it's not uh it's definitely not like that anymore like whenever you know me and you were back in high school even i mean it's hard because a lot of these parents want instant success it's really hard to build a program from the ground up at the high school level because you need that good rec program and you need kids starting at five years old you're talking about from five to 14 you're talking about nine years of commitment to have that group of scrappers that's been together in a hometown and decide to stay together and to have enough of them that are going to make a meaningful impact on a high school lineup, that's where you see a lot of these parents start to flee. If you've got a good group of four guys and you know you're giving up the other 10 weights who are guys who are just starting to wrestle in high school, those four guys are leaving. They're going to go find some other superstar team, and they're going to make their impact there. And they argue it's because of scholarship, and they're going to have more opportunities to wrestle better wrestlers. But really, they just want that great team experience without putting in that 10 years of hard work to get there. I mean, it's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to sell a five-year-old on and get lucky that you're going to have that many kids stick through it for 10 years. It's a hard sport at the youth level. Yeah, no sure doubt. You know. <laughs> like, you don't get a lot of kids that are great at five years old and then great at 15 years old. Right. That's uh, relatively rare. So, it's tough. And not, you know, and and the big thing is, Lisa, we, we see around here, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, obviously very close with Aaron. I'm his assistant coach. And we have 110 kids in our youth program. But we only ha- we can barely get twenty guys out for our high school program. There's somewhere along, you know, there's a disconnect somewhere along the way, and it's just, uh, you know, we're trying to figure it out. Uh, but that's definitely, uh, you know, we've had kids leave and um, go to other schools, and you know, we had a kid move down to Florida to go to Lake Highland Prep, and it's just yeah. kind of how it all works out like that. Uh, but just judging that from a side, let's let's move on to. Uh, your next part of your story you grew up in new jersey you start wrestling for how high school um and you find yourself in the state finals in 2008 um so what was it like wrestling in new jersey uh was the um was the state final still in atlantic city at the boardwalk arena oh yeah yeah oh, yeah and I've heard stories about that, and I've heard, like, Joe Burrow – or I'm not Joe Bees, oh, man. Jordan Burrows talk about – I do a fancy football podcast. So, I, I, that's on my other side of my head. But Jordan Burrows talks about how magical that place is in the, in the finals. And, um, you know, what was it like wrestling in that arena? And what was it like wrestling in New Jersey? Uh, and, like I said, off the top of one division state, which is pretty much unheard of. Yeah, I mean, New Jersey is a special place just because there's a lot of factors going for it. It's really, really small square mileage-wise, so and it's really, really dense in wrestlers. So there's a good club every 10 to 15 miles. You can you trip over them as you're walking around New Jersey. And as you get down to the States, everybody from these good schools has been going to these clubs, so you train all together. And then it's everybody out for blood in the one division, like you said. And you're you know going up against guys who – you've probably been training with for the last five, six years. So that's what makes it extra special is everybody knows everybody. There's so many storylines. This guy used to work out with that guy. These guys change clubs to get away from this guy. That's what makes it really cool down there. And, you know, the stereotypes are true. Jersey fans are loud. 
they're aggressive. They get into it. They're, There's a, know, they're stereotypes for a reason, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, but they are also, as they've proved at the rack the last couple of years, they're also pretty knowledgeable. So they yeah. know when to get up for the big moments and they know what the storylines are. You know, they get hyped for the right matches. So going into that state final, it's actually, we got to back up a little bit. So I was 215 my entire senior year. Okay. Didn't lose a match. And then for the all-star match, this was Scott Goodell, current coach of Rutgers, first mm-hmm. year at Rutgers was my senior year. So he has his director of operations in charge of making the matchups for the all-star match. And he's just pitting his recruits against each other. So now coming into this, I'd never qualified for the state tournament until I was a senior. So I was kind of unheralded coming into my senior year. And I wanted to be one of those Rutgers recruits that first year. So I'm begging for a match, the all-star match, begging for one. They got me set up with some heavyweight. I'm a 215 bear. I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. Whatever. You know, bump me up a weight. However, I got to right. get into this. Right. Two days before they cancel the match, the other guy pulls out. So now I'm out of the all-star match. So I call up Goody, who I had his number because I was trying to get recruited. And I'm just berating him in the, in the Howell High School locker room. I'll never forget it. I'm like, how are you going to pull me out of this? Find me anybody. I'll wrestle anybody. Get him from another state. I'm freaking out at him. And he's like, oh, I don't do anything with the matchups. I was like, it's your boy doing the matchups. We both know you're telling him who to pick up for this. So he goes, all right, fine. I'll get you. There's a sophomore. He's another sure guy. He's also got some good wins. I'll get you. His name's Jimmy Lawson. Okay. I was like, all right, cool. Okay. I know Jimmy's, yeah. yeah, Jimmy's unheard of at this point. Like I said, he's a sophomore in high school. He, uh, I beat him in the all-star match, probably one of the best matches I've ever wrestled. It was 10-8 Jimmy when I pinned him with like 30 seconds left. Oh my. Out of a Peterson from uh, a scramble. Really Love good it. scramble match. So then we're in the same region. Now I bump up to heavyweight after I beat Jimmy. I'm like, you know what? Heavyweight's right for the picking. The 215 class had... I think two guys who ended up playing in the NFL, uh, kid from Don Bosco ended up wrestling for Cornell. It was just loaded with D1 talent. Right. Jesse, yeah. uh, Jesse Boyden went to wrestle for Rutgers. I bumped up to heavy. Heavy was right for the picking. Zach Ray and a guy by the name of Demetrius Hester had both left the year before. Mm-hmm. One to play football at Udell, the other one to become one of the best American heavyweights that's ever lived. Yeah. So it was kind of a vacuum up there. I was like, right, I, right. I don't got to deal with Ray anymore. I'll go up. So I go up, me and Jimmy are in the same region. We don't hit each other because he loses his last match in New Jersey to a guy named Ahmad Bradshaw in the region semi, who I then beat in the region final. So then we're working out together. Howell used to host the region practices. I don't know if you guys do this too, leading up we, to the States. Yeah, we kind of bring in some like schools around our, but like, so we're double A, we'll bring in triple A kids. Or we're, right. we're triple A, we bring in double A kids, kids we won't see. Yeah, so you guys are yeah. pretty smart. We didn't do yeah. that because everybody sees everybody. <laughs> right. Bring them in. So me and Jimmy are scrapping, and we literally said to our coaches, like, do you want us to hit each other? Like, we're what if what happens if we hit? The brackets already come out at this point. Jimmy's like the 17th seed, and I'm the eight because I had no criteria at heavyweight. Right. So our coaches literally laughed in our faces. They're like, oh, you're worried about the state final already? You're the eight and 17 seeds. Like, shut the hell up and go back at each other. <laughs> like, all right. And then I'll never forget, I pinned in the semi, and I look over at the other mat, and I'm watching as I'm walking off. And Jimmy is, of course, shocking the world, sophomore, in the state final. I'm like, I knew it. I told you, idiots. Like, he's coming yeah. after us now. Right. So then I hit him in the final. And like I said, the last match he ever lost in New Jersey was two weeks before that. He pinned his way through, I think, the next two years after he beat me 4-3. And yeah. then went on to be an AA in, uh, at Penn State. So that was, you know, so everybody in the arena knows that backstory. It's You've already hit this guy two weeks ago. They train together. They're at Sure Thing, the club together. So everyone got up for that match. It was awesome. I mean, it's 11,000 nut jobs just losing their mind. They know when to get up. Back and forth match, 4-3. So that's the kind of one. I mean, obviously, I came out on the losing end, so I'll definitely never forget it. But even if you come out on the winning side, you definitely never forget that kind of environment. For sure. For sure, man. And, And that's the whole thing. It's it's tough. You, you you got a guy that lives right down the street from you, and that's the thing. Like, you know, obviously, me and Aaron are very close to the Gladiator program. We'll go to some tournaments, and there's two kids that we literally see wrestle every single day in practice that are going to be wrestling in a tournament. You know, and uh, it's like they they it, they're robots because they know what each other's going to do every step of the way. Oh yeah. So so moving past that, you get through your senior year, great senior season. 
you talked earlier you wanted to go to Rutgers. Obviously, that didn't happen. Walk me through your recruiting process because now you have a different approach or you'd have a – I would say now you're like a very – obviously, now you're a very accomplished recruiter. You bring in one of the best classes in Rutgers history. You, you're starting your own program, and, uh, you know, obviously we're going to get into that. Um, but what made Rutgers – or what made Lockhaven the right choice for you? And knowing what you know now, would you have changed anything in, during your recruiting process? Yeah, probably. I mean, like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty, and especially when you've been on both sides of the fence now, you right. see like the stuff that I'm starting to do as a recruiter now. I'm like, oh, that's why he said that to me back in 2007. You kind of like right. get a look behind the curtain a little right. bit. That's why, you know, they brought in me and this other guy at the same time because there's a you start to play those scholarship games and all like all that stuff. You have no idea what's going on in your senior year of high school. You're just a kid trying yeah. to not let his voice crack while you talk to a college head coach, you know? Right, right. So, yeah, definitely my uh, my recruiting was weird because, like I said, I came into this my senior year absolutely unheralded. I was right. didn't even – not even a state qualifier. So, before the season, I was looking at a couple D3 teams. I got some of the best advice that I didn't end up listening to, but, you know, hindsight, maybe I should have. You never – you kind of question it the whole way through. But here's the thing. At 18 years old, do we ever listen to someone that's trying to give us great advice? Hell no. And it's so hard to remember that when you're talking to 18-year-olds now. Yeah. You're like, I can see your future crystal clear, and you just don't believe me. And they're like, well, you didn't believe anybody back then. Why would he? Yeah. So uh, it was Joe Pollard, who's actually the director of Ops at Rutgers now. Back then, he was the assistant at TCNJ, which okay. is, is and was one of the best D3 programs in the country. You know, okay. back then, it was under Dave Eisenhower, legendary head coach. But he said to me, don't go D1 just for the sake of saying you went D1. Like, don't join up with that team where you're going to lose every match, not get the attention you need just to say you're a D1 wrestler. And that's something that kind of stuck with me. And he almost won me out on that. Because I was looking at Duke at the time under their former staff. Uh, They were having some rough times. I got pulled out to Indiana. So I had kind of both ends of the spectrum. And then there were Lockhaven and Rutgers, George Mason. I was kind of all over the country. But, you know, there was arguments against these. At Indiana, you go out there, the guys are robots. Do I really have what it takes to be a Big Ten guy? Probably not at the time. I was barely – you know, good enough to be uh, a really good high school wrestler at the time. They could have molded me into something, sure, but, you know, that was a big risk to take. Lockhaven, what they had was a team of like-minded guys, like I was talking about before. No talented monsters, just guys who like to get in there, scrap together, go and have a bite to eat afterward with each other. They were a family. And it was a bunch of Jersey guys at the time, which that didn't hurt at all. You know you're going out to the middle of the mountains of PA, but you know you've got some tribesmen in your corner if you ever need a ride back home. You know If you ever need to go get a good Italian dish, you know some guys who know where to get it. So that <laughs> went out. <laughs> Rutgers, uh, Rutgers was fledgling at the time. I wanted to stay home. I really did, but they used up all the money on some really monster recruits, guys like Scotty Winston. Uh, like I said, Jesse Brarley up at heavyweight. They had Mike Wagner from South Plainfield. They just uh, they got everybody in the state because they were really trying to look to uh, they kind of sold it as Jersey against the world, which is what it ended up being for those couple of years. But uh, mm-hmm. they, I don't think they had an out of state recruit until like 2012 or 2013. Like it took a while for Goody to get that rolling. But but yeah, so I ended up going crossing state lines, going to Lockhaven because I love Rocky Bonomo. I love Mike Rogers. They were two of the hardest, most talented wrestlers you'll ever see they would still beat up on the team at like 50 and 35 years old whatever they were at the time like rogers could cradle anybody on the entire lineup at you know 10 years past his all-american status he probably still can for all i know he's down there at fnm just rolling dudes up but uh yeah i trusted those guys to get me the most out of my wrestling i love the team and that's where i ended up I like it, man. And you talk about family. Uh, and, and ultimately, uh, there's a lot to unpack with what you just talked about there. Um, first thing I want to talk about is you said, don't go that you had a wise man once told you don't go D1 just for the sake of saying that you went D1. And, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was much like you. I, you know, I picked it up a lot my senior year, but I never was good enough to be recruited. And I certainly didn't have the grades to be recruited. Um, 
but you know it's one of those things man they have there's kids out there that all they are focused on is going d1 and we're going to get into that when we talk about your recruiting and and at d3 the, the d3 level and i had uh and we talked a little bit off off air about uh anthony Gennaro, who i oh, yeah. love the the d3 nation podcast um and those two guys i love to death and um we have conversations like this all the time like we're having right now um you know just because uh, D1's there and you could go that doesn't mean that's not necessarily the right option for you. For sure. So, for a lot of kids. Right. And so talking about Lock Haven, so you get into Lock Haven, you start finding your niche with the team. Um, you become the starting heavyweight, you know, you become pretty successful, 93 wins, almost hit the century mark, you know, and at this time, Lock Haven isn't what it is now. It's not the rise. It's not, you know, what uh, Scott Moore has going on over there, right? Yeah, it's, it was the Wild, real, Wild West back then. Yeah, man, it, and I've heard stories, trust me. Yeah. Um, so what was it like wrestling for that type of team, and how did you kind of get your footing? Because like you said, you weren't really – a highly ranked guy you weren't a highly ranked recruit but you came in and, and you started finding your footing how did that all uh materialize and what was it like kind of walking in that room for the first time if there was one word i had to pick to describe how it materialized it would be slowly okay. very slowly because <laughs> you come into that room i i had a high opinion of my own wrestling obviously because you spend your senior year like the master of your own dojo anybody who steps in your room you own that room you right. know you're beating up on freshmen you're beating up on anybody at the club who dare step foot in the circle with you and then you go to college a division one college in pennsylvania where it's all everybody around my weight they were all like on the cusp you know 84 97 heavyweight they were all on that like 20 to 25 national ranking good you know, just solid division one wrestlers. They were also all uh, probably with the exception of one, at least three years older than me. They were all red shirt juniors, red shirt seniors, just tough nosed double A kids at a PA who grew up with farm strength and then jumped into the college wrestling. They beat me worse than I've ever been beaten that first like two months of college. <laughs> I didn't score a point in the lock haven room until Halloween of my freshman year. <laughs> so I came in in August and I thought, I was like, I got this good low single. I got this good elbow pass. And these dudes just made me stare at my own feet, just bashed on my head until I couldn't think straight. And then obviously, you know how the PA boys ride. You're a whippy old dude. They got on top of me and just made me lay there with my face in the mat until I cried uncle. So getting your footing under that, really, it was about talking yourself into small successes that was the biggest thing. And that was what coach Rogers told me as well. He's like, you're beating yourself up mentally because you're not beating these dudes. He's like, a lot of the country doesn't beat these dudes and they're starters. You're a red shirt right now. You're not supposed to beat these dudes. You got to start taking the small wins. Like I managed to hit an elbow pass and almost get a takedown. I managed to touch Ben Hepburn's foot today. You know, that was the kind of thing that how many times can I get in on this shot? Maybe I don't finish it. I probably won't. Cause this dude's going to sprawl and stuff my face into the mat. But Every time I get on a shot, I can improve from there to then, all right, now maybe I take the shot and I recover. Now maybe I take the shot and I'm finally, like I said, two months in, you start converting them for takedowns. And then you can start getting mad at yourself when you have a takedownless day. Because I probably had, after I got that first point, there was probably another three weeks till almost Thanksgiving before I got my second one. And then the dam kind of burst, you know? Then you start to uh, get your takedowns a little more frequently. You get your escapes a little more frequently. But definitely that advice to slow down, don't beat yourself up for not getting attaining the ultimate prize right away. Right. Maybe you start to take your small steps and your small victories, and then you build more of them up until you're getting somewhere actually tangible and progress you can measure. So that's yeah. kind of how I started the, how I got my footing in the room and then in the starting lineup and just do the same thing when you start competing. Right. Progress. And, uh, you know, the, the crazy thing is, man, and every single person I've, I've talked to, like I've said before, and I've said a million times, I'm never good enough. I've never claimed to be good enough to be, but I'm, I'm a wrestling nut. I'm obsessed to the max. Every single person they that I talk to that walks into that college room for the first time, they just tell me it makes you want to quit after the first day. Like, yeah. how did I ever get good enough to be recruited here? Um, the first guy I had on, Justin Waters, uh, you know, me and Aaron's peewee coach and, you know, pretty much like a 
mentor to us growing up said the same thing, man. He said he was, he went to Clarion, uh, you know, Kurt Angle, he's rolling around with Kurt Angle and these dudes are just beating the hell out of him. And he's like, how did I even get good enough to be recruited here? Um, oh yeah. But what I'm trying to get at is, you know, you young guys that are listening out there and I know I got a bunch of you guys listening. Um, take advice from Harry here, man. It's, it's going to be a grind. You got, you know, you're going to get into college and you're going to get your ass whooped a little bit. Just, and I love the advice that he just said of just take little victories. I touched his leg today. I touched his foot today. I hit a successful elbow pass. Like, I love that. It's such good stuff, man. So uh, let's move on a little bit. So you started in the starting lineup and I ask every guy, I asked, I asked Neffy this, I asked Aaron this, and I need to get your opinion. How fun was it to wrestle for Scott Moore whenever he took over? I actually didn't get – I can't answer that because – Oh, I, really? I thought you had one year. <laughs> nope. So I had my first year. I started coaching under Scott Moore. Okay, so let's change was, it. So how fun was it to coach under – how fun was it to coach under Scott Moore? It's the reason I'm still doing it now because it I was a blast, it. dude. It was an absolute blast. We were running around. He was trying to rebuild the image of Lockhaven. Right. We were selling T-shirts out of the trunks of cars. Like, we were doing whatever we had to to fundraise and survive. Because at the time, I mean, even under the previous head coach, under Robbie Waller and Rocky Bonomo, the school provided about half the scholarship support. And right. we bridged that gap for the other 9.9 to catch up with the rest of the country by ourselves so that was yeah i he's it's an improved situation now but definitely scott moore is still hustling out there to keep himself with the rest of the country golf uh golf outings the fall classic we were doing spring tournaments like i said literally selling t-shirts out of the trunks of cars there was a gun raffle at one point (laughs) might still be he would do whatever to make a buck for that program and uh hustling with him just with an infectious positive attitude that's what you need to bring into work every day when you're up against it that the cards are stacked against you and he would kind of be like all right well what are we gonna do about it you know (laughs) here's the deck let's figure it out (laughs) that's what that's where i got my start and that's what i've kind of carried with me that's the reason i'm still coaching with him all right so now that now that's a great point to switch over into your coaching side so you finish up your college career you start coaching under scott moore you like you just said it was a blast um what did you learn from him as a coach that you're still using today? Yeah. Like I just said, um, the infectious positivity, you got to be okay. positive to the point where you make other people around you positive. Okay. Cause it's a really hard job. And like we just said, being a college wrestler is a really hard thing. Being any kind of wrestler is a really hard thing. You know, it's not, we did not pick the easiest sports on bodies, on emotions, on your mental health. Facts. It's, it's yep. rough on everybody. So, right. You got to come in there. You got to be everybody's rock and you got to be positive for everybody because you're trying to lead by example of checking your baggage at the door before you get better at wrestling. And if you're not doing that, then all it takes is one guy to be a little bit negative and then everybody's negative. That's where you'll see those practices go from great to bad real quick. When one guy starts complaining a little bit, one guy starts slacking a little bit. So you got to be just the energizer bunny and making sure that doesn't happen. That I definitely take from Scott Moore. Love it. And, it, and like, like I said, I talked to Aaron and Neff and those guys said the same thing, man. Every single day he would come through that room pumped up and making you believe in what he was selling, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and Aaron said he could s- sell ice to an Eskimo, man. He just, <laughs> it's facts. It is yeah. absolute facts. He's still doing it today. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's move on, man. Let's, let's talk about this. Uh, you, you take a year, you're going, you have a couple years at Buffalo and then you ultimately end up at the NJRTC. You, you end up, you know, kind of back home. Um, why was it important for you to come back home? And is this, did you do the same time you did one year at Rutgers and one year at the RTC? Was those yeah, two different years? No, nah, those are two different years, but okay. they are, the RTC was ran out of Rutgers. So it's a joint venture right, right. between Rutgers and Princeton. And each right. staff gets to pick their guys that they're coaching. Right. Or, um, so technically that first year, I was actually a resident athlete, Okay. which in the wrestling world, a lot of people think like when you hear resident athlete, you think Jordan Burroughs at Nebraska, you think, you know, James Green out there, you think of these guys now, because now they're these huge monstrous operations. What right, uh, Raina has going on at Penn RTC, he's got Mark Hall, he's got Lee Zach. You think yep. all these like 
big time college athletes. And then there's the other side of it, which was guys like me. I was a resident athlete. I was not competing anywhere. And everyone knew that. Like I was not right. there to compete. I was already, I was coaching four years at that point. So basically they didn't have a spot for me on the school staff. That's kind of the haves and the have nots of the coaching world. Are okay. you getting paid by the school or are you getting paid by some booster club? Right. So kind of, that's how the sport survives. And it kind of pays these senior level guys to continue to get their feet wet in the coaching world and make their living as they're competing. So that first year I was at Rutgers and I was a member ostensibly of the coaching staff, even though I wasn't on the Rutgers staff. Right. I was in that room every day. I was a practice partner to those guys hanging out in the office every day, you know, give me something to do, give me anything to do. And then that kind of transformed into the role the next year as recruiting director. Right. So you became a recruiting director. So talk about, uh, you were the recruiting director for a Big Ten school. That has to be kind of like a dream job to you, right? Oh, yeah, um, definitely. And, and you bring in – you end up scoring one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Talk to me about how that process went and talk to me about how you land some of those big-name guys. That process, it's – the world of recruiting, especially once you get up to that Big Ten level, is so – emotionally a roller coaster it's every week you can get the best news of your life and the worst news like stacked on top of each other because you're chasing so many of these big names and you're up against guys like kale sanderson can call a kid that you've been working on for four months he could hear about him on tuesday call him on wednesday and be like hey my name that signature it's on the side of your shoe you want to come wrestle for me and the kid's like yeah absolutely i'm out like and then all your hard work is just blown up in a second and on the other side you can have guys like sammy alvarez who i never even met because i was on my way out uh, it was my last like three weeks at Rutgers before i took over at njcu he had been locked up by nc state for months and then he went down there he talked to a couple of the guys he took like spent a couple of nights in those dorms he was like you know what this isn't for me i'm going back home and all of a sudden you land one of the best guys in the country out of the blue who just calls you is like, Hey, I want to come back home. You got room for me? You're like, yeah. So sure, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll figure something out, man. You're pretty good. Yeah. So yeah, it was just, it's, it's hectic. It's really hectic. And it's, you never know quite where you stand. So it's hard to measure your progress with these kids during the process. You never know, you know, the kids saying one thing, the club coach is talking to four other big 10 coaches. You don't know which way he's pushing the kid. The high school coaches are involved, the parents. So it's, it's a tangled game, but it's a lot of fun. You meet some great people, some great coaches, great kids. So right. It's worth it. And I'm sure you're still using that to this day, you know, uh, those, just those little ins and outs of the big 10 recruiting world. Obviously you're doing it on a much smaller scale. Oh yeah. Um, but you're still use those basic premises, I'm sure, uh, in your everyday life now as the head coach. So let's get into this. So you start your own. It, it, did you start the program or? Yep. Okay. So you start your own program. What is, how did that come about? How did you start the program, man? I mean, I've never had anyone on. They've always been, oh, I ended up coaching here or whatever, much like your story. And then all of a sudden, boom. You know, you're all well on your way. You had a great foot in the door uh, at Rutgers. You know, you could have been there probably for a long time. You helped bring in one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Why did you make the decision to start your own program and, you know, essentially kind of go back to square one, back to the D3 level? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was kind of something that Goody had said to me a little bit earlier when we were talking about, we were talking about fundraising. We were talking about something stupid that didn't really matter. Mm -hmm. But he said something to me, he was like, start your own thing or just put your name on something. That was the phrase that stuck out to me. Put your name on something. Cause we were talking about, you know, doing a coach's clinic that was already there before I was there and doing a bunch of the fundraisers we'd always done. And he's like, dude, you got to come up with your own thing. You know, put your name on something. So that was kind of nagging in the back of my head. And then everything kind of folded, folded out in front of me perfectly. Um, the AD at my current job at NJCU, was formerly a Rutgers associate AD. So he was actually the guy that Goody reported to when he was at Rutgers. So he takes over at this small D3 school, about 7,000 kids, and he decides, basically the president decides that they want more sport offerings. 
So they're like, all right, we're in New Jersey. We're in New Jersey City. What sport do you go after first? And this guy, Sean Tucker, kind of seeing what he had, the transformation he had seen at his time at Rutgers had seen, uh, you know, college wrestling go from a 20 person crowd in the college have gym to pack in the rack, 8,000 screaming fans, pyrotechnics, you know, the big 10 works. So he's like, if we're in New Jersey, we need men's and women's wrestling because women's wrestling is also the coming thing. So he made a really smart move in deciding to start both at once. He calls Goody and he goes, I want to start this. Who do I need to talk to? They put him in touch with Mike Moyer at the NWCA. They get in touch with wrestlers of business. All of a sudden, they're you know figuring out you know how much the mats cost. What do we got to do to get this off the ground? So they get their president to pull the trigger. They add men's and women's wrestling. So the next day, he calls Goody. He's like, "All right, I got. The, we're starting this. We're going. Who do I hire? Like, who's who do you got in mind for somebody who could lead a program?" And I was sitting in the office with Goody, and he. I didn't hear the other end of the conversation, but he's on the phone. He points at me over on the couch. He's like, I got the guy sitting two feet from me. He's like, put down this number. So he gets the phone. I'm like, what the hell was that about? And he's like, I got your thing. He's like, I got your thing. You're going to, you're going to talk to somebody. I'm only getting you the interview. I can't give you the job. You got to sell yourself. I was like, I don't even know what we're talking about yet. You're already yelling at me that I'm not doing the interview. Right. So uh, he got me in the door. You know, I came in that first day and they asked me like kind of what you just did. Like, what's your first move? How, how do you start a program? So I had this map and I had a star, you know, the map of New Jersey. It went 250 miles out from Jersey City in a circle. And I had a star of all the top 50 high school teams that are within that 250 mile circle. And it was probably like 15 or 16 teams. And I was like, this is the best wrestling in the country. We're an hour away from Long Island. We're an hour away from the Lehigh Valley in PA. We're an yeah. hour away from Jersey Shore. We're an hour away from the Hudson Valley in New York. That section, uh, I think it's eight or nine. I don't know how their weird districts yeah. and sections yeah, work, but are. Hudson Valley is one of the better areas. Uh, I was like, if we can just start pulling kids, even if it's not the best kids, you start pulling kids from these areas and where the best wrestling is, they're going to be good. They're going to come in. They're going to know how a practice works. They're going to know how to drill. They're going to know how to put the team first. If we can land even their bad kids, we will be a good team. And that kind of sold them, I think, as somebody who came in with kind of a recruiting action plan from that, who's not just like kind of learning, stumbling around like, oh, well, right. what kids can I sell this program on? I knew what kids we needed to sell the program on because New Jersey has a ton of high school wrestlers and only – you know, there were three division three teams and three division one teams. And obviously they're at very different universities. There's a whole lot of kids who aren't good enough to wrestle at Rutgers, Ryder, Princeton, and maybe have some different academic goals and some different financial background from going to Centenary, Stevens, TCNJ. Mm -hmm. So we're definitely an underserved state in this fact that there are a lot of really good wrestlers who want to continue and maybe don't have the opportunity because there's only six teams they have to choose from without going out of the state. So knowing that and going in, that's what kind of secured me the job. And that was kind of the philosophy of the first couple of weeks is just surround yourself with the right people. And before I could even recruit a crit, I had to get a really good staff. And again, I got really lucky. Gravina was graduating at the same time I took the job. My best friend, like you to McKinney, Jason yeah. Eckloff is my guy. His okay. younger brother wrestles at Rutgers, but he was my co-captain in high school, coached at St. John Vianney, had a bunch of state place winners after we graduated wrestled a little bit at York and TCNJ in college. So he had the right pedigree and he knew every kid in the state. So he was the guy when I was the Rutgers uh, recruiting director, I would call and be like, Hey, have you heard of this kid? Like he just, you know, he just lost to uh, Jojo Aragon to seven, three. Like that actually means decent in the world of New Jersey wrestling. Like right, right. how is he? Is that somebody we should be talking to? And he'd be like, Oh yeah. His favorite color is blue. He hits a duck under. Like, <laughs> Knows everything about him, yeah, right? So I got him now. And then uh, Ryan Budzik was a national champ for TCNJ. Again, just kind of folded out perfectly. He's uh, attending law school at Rutgers Newark, 10 minutes down the road from us. So he gets out of law school, changes his shoes, comes over, beats up on some dudes. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful system we got going right now. I love it, man. That's, that's incredible stuff. So talk to me about this, man. Uh, how do you recruit you know, you're not recruiting Division One guys anymore. You're recruiting Division Three guys. How has your recruiting changed, uh, and has your approach changed in any way? 
Uh, the approach hasn't really changed. It's more the targets. The approach was always, even when we were hunting the best kids in the country, the goal was always to be the first school in their mind. So we had this big thing. We had, it's called the graphic campaign. Twice a week, it was my job to get a new graphic from uh, Sports Info, get it printed on the nice paper, write a little note on the back of it, and send it to the kids' mailbox at home. So twice a week, they got something that said, you know, big block R envelope. It looks like an official mail. You open it up, some graphic getting fired up. Just nothing big, not asking any questions. Just, you know, hey, still thinking of you, still on you. Like, keep us in mind. So I still, I've just been doing that with D3 kids. You just carpet bomb programs now with every kind of, hey, you know, can I come in and talk to your kids? Hey, can I come watch your kids work out? I don't even have targets anymore. You just have schools that you know produce good wrestlers. And you go there first, you'd be like, hey, you got any guys that are, you know, looking to wrestle at the next level? And the coaches, they love having guys that wrestle at college, you know? They want to say, I've sent 18 kids on to the Division three level who are still wrestling four years after they graduated. So they're more than happy to serve up kids and try to get them hooked up with me. But yeah, the, uh, the targets kind of change from the best wrestlers to the wrestlers who work the hardest and are willing to listen. That's really the biggest difference between D1 and D3. D1, you could break them at bad habits, but they got to have the talent to compete. D3, I can take you talentless. I can make you have new habits. I don't have to break your bad habits. I can completely reshape you, make you a good wrestler out of, you know, the lump of clay, make you into mm-hmm. a nice, a nice uh, polished rock. That's oh. what we'd like to say. I like it. I like it, man. That's awesome stuff. And uh, so you, you're taking over the program. You, you're kind of doing your thing now. What's your long-term goal, man? Obviously, everyone has goals. Uh, you know, uh, kind of sell yourself as a top program in Division Three. Long-term goal. I mean, I didn't leave one of the best programs in the country to be just another D3 team. You want to be the next Warburg and Augsburg. You want to get them on the schedule, go out and take their prairie belt away because they've just been sitting at the top of the mountain now for – God knows how long, 25, 30 years, I think. And what a crazy story that is. I never knew about that until I started talking to the Bonaventure brothers. They've been dominating the D3 landscape for what, 20 years? 30 years, years. yeah. That's insane, man. An entire generation of D3 wrestlers have never seen anybody else um, up on top of the podium. So obviously when you start this, and I know we're starting it from a a talented state. Yeah, ground zero, but – we're starting it in Jersey where, like I said, there's a plethora of wrestlers that are underserved. A, like you said, a junkyard dog kind of mentality among a lot of them. I think we've got pretty good odds of taking those kids with the staff we got, molding them into really good wrestlers, and then unleashing them on the rest of Division Three. So I'm really pumped to finally be able to do that at some point, hopefully this year, maybe next. We'll see. Yeah, what a mess that is for sure. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. So – how are you, uh, and we've talked enough about recruiting, but I, I think that's something that I need to exhaust because, you know, I have a lot of guys that I've talked to that it's tough, man. There's not a lot of people that are kind of helping lead them through. And, you know, it's so much easier for the guys that it's like the pretty girl at the party, right? Everyone wants to talk to her. <laughs> yeah. You know, a lot of these kids are not the pretty girl at the party, man. They're, you know, you're kind of just like just trying to find someone to dance with, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just – I'm releasing Drew Hadley's uh, interview, and he said that was one of his, like, favorite things that uh, the head coach for Pitt uh, – uh, man, his old – his name's escaping me now. Uh, Stoudemire, Randy Stoudemire. Yep. He used to say, dance with the girl that, that, that you brought. Uh, and I think that's a really good, you know, thing. Uh, so what uh, – what can someone, what can a recruit expect from you and NJCU if they decide to go there? They decide to go there. Once they're in the door with us, what I've been telling all these kids, we provide a division one experience and feel at a division three cost. Uh, once they get in the door, that's what we're really selling is because um, I don't really, I don't know how D three teams do things. I didn't serve any time on a division three staff. Nick Gravina didn't serve any time on a division three staff. So we're kind of relying on uh Budzik was a national champion in D3. So he's not like your run of the mill D3 guy. So all of us kind of come in with that, you know, things that we've picked up from the best in the world. I'm copying my practices off of Donnie Pritzloff. You know, that's the kind of thing you're getting when you come to us is uh, 
a better, we're hoping a better athletic experience than you can get anywhere else for the money. And, you know, we've got a great set of majors where our school of business is on uh, the Hudson river, looking right over into New York city, the financial district. So we've got some really good outcomes for our degrees and we're hoping we can get kids in with a, just a top notch athletic experience, the best coaching, the best competition, the best facilities, whatever we can work scrap together to have a really good wrestling program feel at division three school. Okay. I love that, man. That's great stuff. And, and you're talking, and that's a great point. You think about it, you know, Gravina is a Rutgers guy, division one. Uh, you're a Lockhaven guy, division one. And, you know, it's not like you grew up in a division three college and, and were around it. You guys are looking, you know, you do everything at, at the division one pace. And I think that's, that's definitely a selling point, man. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I know how these kids, you know, I know how to talk to them a little bit. Cause like you said, I was, I wasn't the pretty girl at the dance. And see, right. Right. So I also have that side of it. I came through as maybe the, not the most heralded recruit, but I landed at division one, you know, kind of, got shaped there into a good division one wrestler better than mm-hmm. average at least yeah not, not one of the greats but <laughs> yeah no doubt it's not many of exactly. people one of the greats buddy exactly yeah exactly <laughs> so uh i know kind of on both sides of the fence so that's what we're kind of trying to do now is just identify those kids that are kind of in my shoes they're you know coming into themselves during their senior year want to continue want to be coached want to get better want to work hard they're lifers of the sport yeah so for those kids, you know, that's why I say carpet bombing. That's the phrase we always use because those kids aren't going to come to you. They don't know how or they're not. Like you said, it's not a whole lot of people who know how to get them in touch with a college. So you got to get yourself out there and make sure you're giving these kids the opportunity to come up to you somewhere and stuff their number in your hand and let you kind of take their wheel from there on the recruiting end. Good stuff. So let's, let's talk about this, man. This is something I talked about with Neff. And he actually mentioned you on this topic. Uh, And uh, he said that, uh, so I I end everyone kind of like this. I, I, my, my podcast is near falls with T-Hall. I've morphed the question a little bit. Um, Give me your favorite pin that you've ever been a part of as a coach or an athlete or both. Coach or an athlete or both. I know, I think I know the one that Neff brought up. I'm not going to use that one. I'm that sure. one was, I think you guys were wrestling Bucknell or something. Yeah, was he and talking you, about and, me with the terrible celebration? Yeah, he said you yeah. slayed it, dude. And he said it was like <laughs> the whole bench went crazy. And, you know, you were kind of the, the big lovable heavyweight that got the win for everyone. And Yeah, uh, uh, yeah that was bad. I still get made fun of by that. Uh, for that one because I stood up and I did the Cam Newton Superman pulled my chest apart in Bucknell's gym oh man I love it that's incredible (laughs) what are you doing but uh no my favorite one is probably another Western PA guy Derek Caldwell bumped up he was a 174 pounder who kind of floated around the entire upper end of the lineup he was uh from Kerwinsville it's from Mm kind of out by you yeah, but he was kind of a journeyman. Like started out as a fifty-seven pounder, ended up filling in at like ninety-seven because we didn't have the depth. He kind of bumped up, and he was the same thing: goofy, pigeon-toed Western PA kid, just lived to wrestle. Couldn't play another sport if you gave him a million dollars to try right, it. Right. He got a pin over a Clarion kid to save a match in the Thomas Field House, and I don't think I've ever jumped as high as I did in that moment when. Caldwell went out there at 174.6 and pinned their 97. That was easily the best pin I've been a part of. And the only reason I don't think Neffer brought it up is because I don't think he's a young book. I don't think he was even there yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But uh, that's incredible stuff. I, I love that. So do you have any of your personal uh, high school or college career that you that you love? Uh, the Stolfi one at Bucknell is up there. That was a really good one. I had a huge rivalry with a dude named uh, Edgar and James or Edwin James, Ed James. He was Ed James. He was a nationally ranked guy from Edinburgh, but we hit nine times during our college career. Wow. Because you, like you were talking about, like you guys at gladiators and out in the whip yield, everybody hits everybody every weekend. That's kind of how the PSAC worked. Right. So we would wrestle, you'd hit in the duel, you'd hit in the conference. The PSAC had a smaller mini conference in December We'd hit in that. Uh, we'd hit. We all went to the Southern Scuffle. 
opens, you know, Edinburgh hosts an open, we host an open. So like I said, nine times. And I think we split five, four, but the one where I finally got him in the uh, PSAC final, that was the year I bumped up to heavyweight. That was my first year wrestling up there. Probably my first month wrestling there. Cause that was December. That was my favorite when I finally got him there. I think he had beaten me a couple times before that, but that one sticks out in my mind for sure. And that's always good to finally get, you know, a guy that you're going back and forth with and you end up just catching him and sticking, man. That's, yeah. that's, that's great stuff. So, uh, you know, we've been talking for about an hour, man. I've, I've enjoyed everything about it. I love, I am fascinated with the New Jersey thing, man. I'm fascinated with the New Jersey wrestling and you're New Jersey through and through, uh, the, the, you know, I'm obviously PA to the core, uh, and I've of never, course. I've never thought that there's another state out there that is as passionate as PA. But I'd have to say New Jersey's right there. There's no doubt about it. If not, probably more, man. New Jersey's crazy. I'm gonna uh, argue for more. I won't do it right in your face, <laughs> like said, PA guy, but I have to. I, I, as you should, man. As you should. So before we get off, man, do you have anything else? Bef- anything else for me? Anything else for you? No, but you said you got a lot of Western PA little guys that listen to you. So I'll address them for a second here. If you're looking, I know that all of you have an implicit bias against New Jersey and going to New Jersey and being anywhere associated with it. But please, if you heard any of this and it sounds like home to you, look us up. Like I said, NJCU, New Jersey City University. We got a great staff. We're building a really good team. We got 30 guys in the first year. A lot of them transfers. We got a good mix of freshmen and uh, and older guys. We're going to do something special. And I would love to get a little bit of a whippy pipeline going. <laughs> so if anybody wants to make that trek, it's probably only about six hours. You know, you're going to look at schools that are a little bit further than that. It's close enough. You can get back home in a half day if mom has to do your laundry every couple of weeks. Take a look. Get in touch with me. I'm uh, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. My numbers all over my email on the, uh, the NGC website. Please give us a look. Cause like I said, uh, for all that I spout about New Jersey being the better state and New Jersey being the tougher kids, I've gotten my ass kicked by plenty of Whippeal kids. I would love to have a couple <laughs> to unleash on the rest of the world. Yeah, man. And there's no doubt about that. You're, you're, you're buttering me up with the whippy talk, man. I love it. <laughs> like I said, I've taken enough beatings to to know that there's some tough dudes out there. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap it up with my friend Harry here. Guys, I hope you really enjoyed his story. I certainly did. Love talking New Jersey wrestling. Love talking wrestling in general. And uh, I love that different perspective that he brings with the, 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 the D3 guys. So with that being said, thank you guys for listening to another edition of Near Falls with D-Hall, a wrestling podcast.